Recently, I was asked how to correct a child while they're in church so that they would be quiet right now. Have you ever had that experience too? When you're sitting in a place, maybe you're in class as a student, maybe you're in a funeral, maybe you're at a church service, maybe you are just, you're listening to a lecture. You're someplace where you want to listen and your little one has no idea that them whispering to you continually is not being quiet. And maybe they're kicking the seat in front of you and they don't understand that that's not quiet. Well, hang on to your hat. Today, we're talking strategies that are easier than you think, but that take time and preparation. Does your child have a speech-language delay and you really want them to talk? Do difficult behaviors derail home life and you know the frustration is a communication struggle? Does your child see a speech therapist? And you wonder, what do they do? And how can I help? If these or similar questions are in your mind, this podcast is for you. Hello, my name is Dina Lynn Rosenbush. I am a speech language pathologist that has worked with children from birth to 21 for three decades. And in my classrooms, I see you wanting to connect with the heart of your child, but their speech and language skills create a barrier. So if you have a kiddo that has difficult behaviors, needs to expand their language, or learn to say speech sounds, and maybe even receives speech therapy, stay tuned. Because in this podcast, you will learn how to use your daily life as a tool to communication practice and how to do that practice. You will become confident knowing you are making the difference you want to make. And you will hear success stories of parents who have navigated these struggles already. We'll do this all while focusing on building deep, meaningful connection and confidence in your kiddo. So grab a cup of coffee along with a notebook and pen. It's time to speak in the way your child's brain understands. And that is the language of play. I read a book when my children were young that really helped me get a better handle on how it is to communicate with little people in ways they understand. And that book was called Parenting in the Pew. I do not remember the author. I have since lost the book. I remember getting ideas and implementing them. But before I tell you that story, I want to share a coaching testimonial. One client wrote, Dina Lynn is wonderful at helping us deal with real-life situations that come up and to brainstorm ways to react better next time a similar thing happens. With these tools, we can talk to our kids in ways they'll both hear and understand what we want from them and feel respected in the process. If you want to build parenting skills right now that will affect your relationship with your children for the rest of your life, take Dina Lynn's course. You won't forget it. I feel so warm inside when I read things like that. And this is truly what I want for you. I want you to know what you can do right now to be able to change your situation. I know that you have in your mind the parent that you want to be. And none of us meet up with the goal that we have in our mind. So that is one of the reasons that coaching is available. To give us strategies to help us know how we can go from where we're at to where we want to be. 
When my kids were young, I was in a group of moms that actively talked with each other, telling each other what we had tried, what worked, what failed, and we helped each other identify what we called fails to shift the way we did things, to create another attempt, to give us ideas. Eventually, we just helped one another find success. We were friends. Each child is different and each parent is different, and what works for one child and one parent may not work for the next, and we understood this. So this was a fantastic way for me to learn different strategies because I could watch it happen. It is said that Thomas Edison experienced 1,000 unsuccessful attempts before he created the first light bulb. He didn't quit. He realized that he learned what did not work, and he shifted how he did things and just tried something else. And he didn't put it on himself like he's a failure or his value is less, or it's a character flaw. Rather, he shifted and tried something else. This is the attitude that I wish for all of us. Sometimes our struggle is that we judge ourselves as failed. And I hope that you learn to take on the curiosity of play, that you can look at what else can I try? How can I do it? How can I tweak what I'm doing? Like Edison did. Sometimes our struggle, though, is not having another idea. And if this is the case, I want to invite you to join that free Facebook community that I have because this is my hope that this group could be like the group of moms that I got to enjoy when I was growing my children because we gave each other ideas. We didn't see it as failure. We saw it as, oh, I don't know what to do in this case. What did you do in that case? And then we try things with the understanding that I'm different and my kids are different. And the more we learned, the more I understood how deeply that is true. So it is my hope that as we build a group of people in that Facebook group, we share ideas and successes and fails in ways that readers think, oh, I can do that. Oh, that's what the issue is. I can try it differently. Oh, thank you for sharing that. This means a lot to me. So go join that Facebook community, and if you want direct help with me, email me at hello at thelanguageofplay.com, and I would be happy to join you on your parenting journey to help you become the parent you want to be. Now let's get into it. How is it that with my friends and with this book, um, Parenting in the Pew, and with the conversations that I had with my children and tweaking it all, Let's figure out how it is that it worked. What parts worked for me? And if I whittle away like exactly what I did and just tell you in order, first, I want to say it's pre-teaching. So what does pre-teach look like? Well, that is letting your kiddos know what is going to happen. Your children know from the last time they attended this event with you. So we'll say it's church. They know that when they go to church, this is what happens. And they know it because that's all they have experienced so far. So if you want them to start thinking, envisioning something different, you need to put the idea in their head. And that is really what pre-teaching is. You're going to create the image in their mind. You're going to create the story for themselves where they can say and know, and they heard you say, what they're going to do. Here's what it looks like. Hey, Susie, when you get up in the morning, we're going to go to church. 
Do you remember last time when we went to church? And she nods her head. You say, we're doing it differently, and I'm going to tell you what we're going to do. Now you've planted the idea in her head, and she's ready to hear the story. Tomorrow, when we get up, you are going to bring your bag that has your notebook and your colored pencils with you, and we're going to bring it to church. You're going to listen. As I'm listening, you get to do the same thing I'm doing. I'm listening, and you're listening. I'm going to write down on my page what I hear, and you're going to write down on your page what you hear. Now, what you have just done is you have created an image in your child that gives them the understanding that you're going to be the example for them. If your child prefers to draw pictures to writing or is simply not yet a writer, you say, you will be drawing pictures of what you hear and I'm going to write what I hear. Either way, you are mirroring the behavior for your child of what it is you want them to do. But in this case, we're telling little Susie the night before. So you're starting to paint the picture for her in her mind of what the experience is going to look like. Remember that your child's understanding is what they are behaving. Like they will behave according to what they understand is expected of them because that's what happened last time. So if you don't like what happened last time, then you're going to draw the picture for them as if you're telling them a story. And when you can match the behavior that you want them to have, like I'm describing, next, side by side, they can look over at you and know that what you're doing is what they're to do, that provides them these wonderful, tangible examples. Now, the next thing you need to do for step two is prepare. So the prepare I have next, because really we need to think through the pre-teaching in order to know what to prepare. So that's why prepare was actually number two. In my life, what I had done was I took an old pair of jeans and I cut off a good part of the leg and turned it into a bag for each of my kids. And this little bag that was the size of this leg on the jeans was what they would carry with them. And inside of that bag, what I had was a notebook that had no lines and no grid. There were nothing. It was just plain white. And then I gave them each three colored pencils. Now my preparation worked for me, but you need to do what works for you because I am always interested in language development and language expansion. I knew that I wanted my kids to be listening. I knew that I wanted to develop their listening skills. So if that is a focal point of yours and the fact that you are listening to this podcast tells me you are probably interested in building your child's listening capabilities. So I will say this is a good one to do for that. Before you start telling your kids in that pre-teaching experience what you want them to do, you need to take the time to prepare them for success. Whatever it is that you want them to actually do, that's what you need to prepare them to do. Now that sounds so obvious and it seems so simple, but way too often I find that we go with an idea and it hasn't been prepared. Take the time to think through how do you want your child to behave in this particular circumstance that you're thinking about. Maybe in your mind you're going to take your child to a wedding. How do you want your child 
to sit, to listen, to behave, to interact, whatever you're talking about, whatever you want to change, consider how you do want them to behave and then prepare them for it. Part of your preparation is the basics of making sure you're You've allowed enough time so your child can go to the restroom, get a drink of water, they have already been fed, you know, all the details that are going to be the reasons your child says to you, I want to leave, I have to go potty. Or maybe you know that their shoes are noisy, so you warn them, when we get to the wedding, I'm going to take off your shoes and your shoes will be on the floor while the ceremony happens. So preparation is thinking through what it is you do want your child to behave like and then collecting your resources or establishing your time in such a way that it becomes possible. Now the third thing, it will happen that they want to do the very thing that they're not supposed to do. Whether that's talk or wiggle or get up and use the bathroom, whatever it is, they're going to be driven to do that thing. So you need to be ready. They will want to do what is familiar. And these are the behaviors you're trying to make less common. So they will automatically want to do the familiar thing. So how do you want them to speak when they need to? I mean, obviously we want them to be quiet, so we want them to not speak. But... They are going to be driven to do it. So how do you want them to get your attention? Is it that you want them to tap your leg? Is it that you want them to whisper? If they are able to write, do you want them to write on a piece of paper and give it to you? Give them the opportunity to be able to do the thing that they really want to do, but tell them how you want it done. Step four goes with step three. We're going to tell our children how we're going to handle it when they talk or when they wiggle or when they do the behavior that we're not wanting them to do. You need to remember that this is practice and learning. It has nothing to do with respect of you or anything like that. They are learning. If you can keep your mindset in that this is practice and learning, it will be far easier to stay patient. So for my kids... And I did this for a wide range of ages. I said, when you're talking, I'm going to put my hand on your leg. And then I'm going to put my first finger on my lips. Now I describe it to you, but with the kids, I just said, do this. And I put my first finger on my lips as if it was a gesture to be quiet. And I always smiled when I would do it because I had to remember I am helping them. I wanted them to respond with the attitude of thank you for reminding me. The expression thank you for reminding me is the attitude to generate within your kids. I also taught them when they're wiggling, I'm going to put my hand on their leg and I will smile at them, but I will point to the part of their body that's wiggling so that they see it's their feet or it's their hands or it's their bottom or whatever it is that is wiggling. That's what the part of them that I want them to make still. And I also explained it's because wiggles make noise, and what I want is quiet. I also warned them to, that I was going to help them remember what it is that I want them to do by pointing to their paper. When I point to their paper, it means draw me a picture. 
or write me some words. They also knew that after the experience, in this case it was church, but I also did this in weddings and in funerals because it worked. So I, I let them know that I'm going to have them tell me the story about all of the pictures they draw afterwards. So this was like a journal that they had of their sermons or experiences, and they knew that I would always ask them about it. Sometimes it was so super cute. I drew the date on it, and um, the kids never like did it in order, but that doesn't matter. If they open to the back page, and then they open to the middle page, and then they open somewhere else, it doesn't matter. Remember that keeping things chronological or telling them what page they are to draw their pictures on, that would be more of control that your kids will probably rebel against. But if you are able to let them have as many choices as possible, so like they can choose the colors they're going to draw with and they're going to choose what pictures to draw and they can choose what page they're going to draw on and they can choose whether or not they're going to quietly exchange with their sibling all of those things are okay. If you can keep your goal for them to be only one thing, and for me it was quiet, and it might be like if, if you talk about it so that quiet is one thing and wiggles is one thing, it's too much. Pick one. I did quiet, and the only reason they had to keep their wiggles down was so that they didn't make noise with the other parts of their body. If you can simplify it down to one word goal for the kiddo, that will help you also to achieve what you want during this time. And maybe the most important part is step number five, and that is celebrate with them. If they did three minutes of what you want and the rest of the time was a struggle, you are going to call attention to that three minutes and give them uh, kudos of whatever sort for that three minutes. And then the rest of it, you don't talk about. They'll know what you're ignoring, and they will know what you're trying to call attention to. And if you ignore the part or just don't go back and refer to it, and you're calling attention to that three minutes that they did so well, they're going to want to increase that all on their own. So in summary, what are some things that you can do to help your kiddos be quiet when you're sitting in church or maybe you're at a wedding or a funeral or some lecture or a classroom, some time that they need to be still and quiet? One, pre-teach them the behavior you want them to have. Two, when you think through that behavior, then you know what to prepare. So think through that behavior before you actually pre-teach them so that you know what items you're going to need in order for them to be successful. Three, tell them how you want them to do that thing, like talk when they're not supposed to talk. Do you want them to whisper? Do you want them to tap? What do you want them to do when they need to break the rule? Four, let them know how you're going to handle it when they break that rule by telling them exactly what you're going to do and then do it. Do exactly what you say you're going to do. And five, call attention to how they did stuff right. Don't call attention to the other parts. But celebrate with them what they have done because it's not easy work for them. 
it's actually quite hard for the wiggles to go away and the constant chatter to go away. If that's what they're practiced at, that's been the norm, and they're young. Let me know how it goes, parents, and I'm cheering you on. And for more ideas like these, um, that is my coaching program, and that free Facebook community is yours to join. Uh, The link is in the show notes below, and eventually we will have lots of people's input that will be so helpful for you. Have a fabulous Labor Day weekend. Remember, moms and dads, when you get behind the eyes of a child, you can speak in ways their brains understand. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you feel hopeful and want to hear more, please share this podcast with other parents that might want the same. I would be so appreciative if you would rate and review. You can also connect with me at hello at thelanguageofplay.com. At